Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And to uh, talk Cubs baseball, do a little uh, post-game radio. I was able to follow the whole team in October uh, through that March and going to the World Series and was at every game. That erased some of the 84 agony that I was feeling. But uh, even today, that 84 team was probably the closest opportunity, no doubt about it. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is a superstar, Cubs Hall of Fame second baseman, Ryan Sandberg. Rhino, thank you so much for joining us. This is a real treat for me. Fran, nice to be with you. It's baseball season, so I'm looking forward to uh, the conversation. I just love the way you played baseball. The 84 Cubs were one of my favorite teams, an absolute joy to watch. Can we start by talking about the modern-day Cubs? They are off to a 3-3 and start, and frankly, they're lucky enough to have that mediocre record because they have the second-worst offense in Major League Baseball. They're batting 124. It's a small sample, but what do you make of the start so far? Well, first of all, they had a very good spring training. They showed signs that they, they that they can hit and they, they will hit. Um, uh, it's a very small sample, like you said, six games uh, to uh, come to any conclusion on that. But uh, the core group, when you're talking about Rizzo and Baez and Bryant and Contreras and Hayward and Hap and Bodie, uh, the core group they've they've hit in the past, and um, uh, so I think we just give them some time. But um, three and three record after six games, uh, you just kind of look at that and and you move on. They uh, they have a, 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 a three game series with the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates coming up uh, on the road, and so let's see if they can get their bats rolling on the road. Last year, they struggled again offensively, and we heard all kinds of excuses. The 60-game season that put added pressure on every single game in at bat, no fans in the stands, no ability to watch in-game video. What's the excuse so far this year? Well, I haven't heard any excuses. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it, it's something they, they did win a game, and they hit three, three balls out of the ballpark. Um, I'd say the last three years, this team has has relied on the, on the home run a little bit too much, in my opinion. Where if you if you uh, have a lineup of players or certain players 
just putting the the bat on the ball and um, and getting on base uh, and, and adding more hits to the in the hit column. Oftentimes, you'll put more pressure on the opposing pitchers and uh, and score runs that way rather than always waiting for a home run to score a run. So uh, I would say going into spring training, this was something that uh, that uh, management was going to address and uh, try to improve. There was a, a lot of improvement needed there. So avoiding the strikeout, putting the bat on the ball more, um, having rallies with uh, four or five, six hits, and, and maybe throw a walk in there in, in an inning, have a rally to score runs. Yeah, the fans have been hearing that. The fans have been hearing that for literally three, four years now, and yet they can't seem to do it. Why is that? And you know what? On the other on the other side of the coin, I think uh, in some regards, a a lot of these players are on one year contracts. And I think that I mean, they they know it. And it's it's very obvious that this is in some ways their, their last chance to, to be a core group and to get it done like they did in, in 15 and 16. They went to the playoffs for four or five years in a row, uh, came up big the one year with the World Series, but this is kind of their, potentially their final hurrah as a group. Other than that, then they'll need to make some changes, and especially in that regard of, of offense and run, run, runs produced. Yeah, we've got Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez in their walk years with the possibility that at least two out of three might be gone or dealt at the All-Star break if the Cubs are not contenders. Which of the three do you see for sure staying? Which of them should stay? What do you see happening? Uh, I don't have any inside information for you there, Fran, on which one will stay, but in, in my uh, I it it's uh it it's one of those seasons where it's do it now or or never so it, it's depending on who's the most tradable at at the time if they decide to make some trades who's the most desirable guys to trade who who can they get the most uh package for when we're when we're talking about some of these players you're talking about potentially three to four players coming back in a trade and so it's it's who's who uh, who brings the most back to you. So that's yet to be seen. I've always viewed uh, uh, Anthony Rizzo as as somewhat of a captain of of the Cubs um, since he arrived. He's a mainstay. He plays every day. He's a Gold Glover at first base. He's one that does put the bat on the ball, and uh, and you can pretty much pencil in his numbers at the end of the year, being right up close to three hundred and uh, quality offensive years he's done it and uh javi Baez is another one that's very versatile he right now he's playing short but he played a tremendous second base he can play 30 right now he's an everyday shortstop uh he's had good years uh, up till up till um as we speak and he's he's another one that i like uh, to keep in the mix but like i say it's uh it all depends. It, it's really in their hands on how long they stay together, and uh, and it's really in the in baseball hands and the organization's hands on who who will stay and and, uh, and who will be traded if that ever if that ever happens. If you were Jed Hoyer, which of the three would you keep? Well, you know what? I'm kind of in the same thing where you know the verdict is out. Let's see. We have to let them play for. Uh, 
for two or three, four months, and then and then reevaluate at that time. Right now, this is the club that uh, left spring training. Um, they were hoping for some good help and some surprises in the starting pitching. Uh, they seem to have a good lineup. They added Jock uh, Peterson to the mix. They added Sogard. Uh, they got Maybin last year. Um, so they have the makings, to me, of a good right-handed, left-handed mix of an offense. So for me, the verdict is still out on that. During the offseason, Theo Epstein passed the baton to Hoyer. The Cubs traded you Darvish for nobody we knew. And they let workhorse pitcher and future Hall of Famer John Lester go to the Washington Nationals along with Kyle Schwarber. They also said goodbye to Albert Amora Jr., who once appeared destined for stardom, but he couldn't hit. He's now with the Mets. What did you make of all those moves? Was it a fire sale? What was that? Well, it was an organizational, obviously organizational uh, moves uh, for their reasons, uh, whatever that might be. Uh, the team that they had last year won the division and then uh, was pushed out of the playoffs very quickly from a, a Miami Marlins team that wasn't really high, highly touted last year, but they swept right through the Cubs in a short three-game series, winning two in a row. I think in some regards that, that sent a message uh, to the front office that it's time to make some changes. Um, this group's been together since 2015. And those were those were decisions made from up above. So uh, uh, possibly a combination of uh, financial reasons after a, a tough financial year for the Cubs, but also uh, going forward, uh, the direction that they were thinking that they were going to go. I think that was all part of it as well. And Theo Epstein leaving a year early. Did that surprise you at all? And is Jed Hoyer ready? Uh, did it surprise me? Uh, he's. I think from what I've seen since he first came to the Cubs, very methodical thinker. He thinks ahead. He thinks out of the box ahead into the future. I'm not sure what his plans are or what his uh, aspirations are, uh, but he's, he has, I've, I've had full faith in Theo Epstein that the day that he came to the Cubs and all the way through to the day that he left on the job that he did, the moves he made, the way he handled the Cubs and led the led the organization first class. So I think it would have something to do with his aspirations, where he's at in his life and, and his career. Um, Jed Hoyer, know him very well. Uh, uh, being the being uh, the general manager uh, under Theo Epstein um, and a Theo Epstein uh, guy, uh, leading in uh, in the same direction. Um, continuity there. I think it's a good move for the organization for continuity from what they just experienced uh, under Theo Epstein. And um, really, look at this see, look at this team coming out of spring training. And, and on paper, I say this is a team that's that's going to compete for the division once again. So a uh, tip of the cap to Jed Hoyer for that. David Ross is manager. How's he doing? Is he cut out for this? Uh, David Ross, very cut out for this. He's He's been a uh, uh, as a backup catcher and a catcher throughout his career. He's been around tremendous managers. He's he, he, you can see it. You can see it uh, his last few years as a player that he was a managerial 
candidate type of a guy. And uh, I think he handled last year very well under those circumstances. Very unusual. But, um, you know, the Cubs team had great leadership in, uh, in avoiding any problems with COVID. They uh, kept their players safe. And uh, that's, I think that was a, a very difficult thing to do last year. But it took good leadership from David Ross to get through last year and to win the division in his first year. This will be the first year that he has with um, the pitcher in the nine hole and the, and the and the National League moves that you make. So this will be a good year experience for him. But I believe as a player, he was over there on the bench, um, almost practicing managerial moves and, and thinking along the manager a lot of those years. The Cubs announced this week that Fergie Jenkins will get a statue outside Wrigley. When you look at his numbers and the numbers of complete games he pitched, the number of innings he compiled, it stands in huge contrast to what's going on in the game today. Starting pitchers are lifted in the fourth or fifth or maybe the sixth if you're if you're lucky. Players' arms aren't any weaker physically. They're stronger physically. Why can't they or why aren't they allowed to go deeper into games, and is that a good or bad thing for baseball? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. Uh, I, I have the luxury of talking to uh, many Hall of Fame pitchers, being a Hall of Famer, and when I'm with them during during the induction weekend in Cooperstown in July, um, and and they seem to they seem to think that the pitchers don't throw enough and use their throwing motion enough throughout the year. They focus so much on weightlifting and weights and all these other exercises that they build the muscle in a certain way that they don't have the, uh, uh, they don't have the length of the arm and the length of the muscles to, uh, to stay healthy. And with that in mind, I think, uh, front office and, uh, and the minor leagues, I think they train the pitchers to stay healthy and avoid injury because injuries have occurred with the weightlifting in my opinion, so to compensate for that, uh, the bullpens are built up and used quite a bit on a daily basis. Um, from the moment a, a pitcher signs professionally, they're somewhat trained in the minor leagues <clears throat> to throw a certain amount of pitches. And, and after 80, 85 pitches, 80 pitches, they're, they're looked at very carefully. And so that's how they're groomed. And by the time they get to the big leagues, that's what they that's what they think that their job is to do is throw 80 pitches and get through the fifth and then uh, somebody will come in from the bullpen so it's a uh, it, it's a very different thing I know that uh, I've talked to uh, I've talked to Fergie about it before he, he wanted to be out there for the whole game he didn't he thought he was better than the guy that might be coming in from the bullpen and he probably was as a lot of those starters were back in those days with the Bob Gibsons and the Nolan Ryans and, and uh, Steve Carlton's, those guys, those guys were starting pitchers. You had to like pull, get them by the collar and take them out of a game because they wanted to go the whole time. And, and it was just a different mentality back then. Yeah. And when Sandy Koufax pitched, he pitched like 150 pitches or 170 pitches. He talked about how his arm was purple in the in the uh, in the locker room. Uh, and yet he did it again and again. You know, and I, I think it's a bad thing not to. I love a complete game. That's the most exciting thing just about except to play at the plate, isn't it? Yeah. 
I agree with you 100% there, Fran. And uh, but then again, when pitchers, uh, when, when managers have have allowed pitchers to extend and and go out, there's a track record now of about eight or ten years of injuries occurring, and now that team is without a starting pitcher because they allowed them to go 100 and 110, 120 pitches. So. I think in some regards, they're being very careful with that uh, to keep their starting pitchers uh, throughout the whole year. They're hard to come by, hard to come by uh, starting pitchers, and they don't uh, they don't fall off of trees. So they're very valuable players on the team. You want them out there every fifth day, and when you don't do that, you start going to the minor leagues. Uh, it takes a lot. Oftentimes, it takes a, a big hit on the uh, on the team at the major league level. And speaking of the minors, you spent years in the minors riding buses and learning and earning your chops as a manager. And then you got your shot with the Phillies and it didn't work out so well. Uh, what have you thought about as you look back on those days, things that you did well, things you might have done differently? What do you think? Uh, my six years in the minor leagues, I spent four with the Cubs starting in Peoria, Illinois at A-Ball and working my up to double A and then to triple A and in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, then went to Lehigh Valley for the Phillies, uh, AAA for two years. Those six years, I learned more about the game of baseball than I did my my uh, four years in the minor league as a player and my 17 years in the major leagues. Just on how the game is, the, the responsibilities of, of of all all the positions on the field, uh, how to watch a game differently. Uh, really enjoyed it and the. The players in the minor leagues just looking for advice and just for a crumb of information from me just to help them get to the major leagues. And that was, that was that's the whole goal of the major leagues is to advance players and get that uh, parent club some players from the minor leagues. So really enjoyed that. Uh, and then I had a chance uh, to be a third base coach with the Phillies under Charlie Manuel. Um, then they made a move and made me manager. And um, at that time, um, I was managing a core group of Phillies that had won, uh, let's see, um, seven or eight years earlier and in uh, 2008. And uh, they were older players at the time, all over over 32 years old. Uh, with diminished skills. And um, so that was the, the the club that I had. And and leaving spring training, both of those years that I managed there, we were projected by all of baseball to uh, finish last in our division, which we accomplished that. So it was, <laughs> it was a tough go there, but um, kind of have that under my belt and uh, kind of got that off my chest, learned a lot about myself, about the game of baseball, and, and more from the management and the uh, ownership aspect of baseball. So all in all, the whole time was a great learning experience, uh, and I, I, uh, I do a much better job talking about the game of baseball after that experience than I did just after playing my playing days. You never wanted another shot, did you? <clears throat> no, I don't think so. Um, Why not? I had a taste of I had a good taste of it, and uh, for me, my experience of a manager through my years, uh, for me, it's it's different today than it, it was back then. It really is. So when I had uh, Don Zimmer and Jim Fry and Lee Ely and Jim Riggleman and, and Jim Lefevre and these guys, um, 
you know, they had they had full say of the lineup and full say of uh, uh, running the team and being in charge. And uh, I, I think it's a little bit different where there's some help from up above. So it's a little different um, job right now than it than uh, than it, what what it was back in the day. Um, I don't think it's for the worst. I think it's fine, but it just is what it is. Are they prima donnas? Do the players bristle at authority? What is the reason why it's harder today for a manager? Um, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, I've been around this Cub team, and it's been a pleasure since I rejoined the Cubs, leaving the Phillies in, uh, let's see, June of 2015. I was invited to come out end of July, meet the players, be around the guys during batting practice. Uh, and this group of um, Cubs and their core group, and they, they uh, spread the word. I mean, so respectful for the game and the history of the Cubs. Um, it, it doesn't have to be prima donnas, anything like that. I don't, I don't believe the Cubs have, have had a prima donna uh, through this whole stretch of guys. So, it, no, uh, not at all. I like the way that this Cub team plays hard every day. They uh, they expect to win. They want to win. They represent the Cubs uniform very well. They love the fans. They promote baseball, and they promote Chicago Cubs baseball the right way. So very fortunate to have this group since 2015. It's been fun. But the Phillies team that you had, you had some problems with some of the players, right? Well, uh, they were a little. They were a very much older group. Uh, they were. They had already won either elsewhere or they won with the Phillies, and they had d- diminished skills, and so they were not happy about that. So it wasn't a good situation. Uh, they weren't happy with their play. I wasn't happy with their play. Uh, nothing you can do about that. Um, in some regards, I would have been very pleased with a rebuilding situation there and a, a, some young players from the minor leagues and groom them and, and have a new new batch of players. But uh, that wasn't the case. And uh, like I said, I wouldn't trade the, the experience for the world. Um, but it was just the uh, wrong place at the wrong time. I always thought that you were mild-mannered and shy, and that is until your wonderful Hall of Fame induction speech. You delivered a blistering speech on that day, condemning the lack of respect for the game you love so much among today's pampered players. And you even took a thinly veiled shot at steroid users, even seeming to single out Sammy Sosa. What made you do that? Uh, well, when I received the phone call in January of uh, 2005, was so ex- excited and elated about that. And then, you know, you don't give your speech and your talk until uh, July. So there's there's eight or nine months there. You have to prepare. And the whole time, right from that phone call, was a reflection of my experience with baseball, what it felt like as a little leaguer watching games on TV. And these players were like gods to me. And then um, at at uh, at twenty and twenty one years old to be a, in the in the big league camp with the Philadelphia Phillies, and then a September call up and be surrounded by Pete Rose, Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton, Bo, Larry Boa, Manny Trio, an all star, basically at every position. They they just won the World Series in nineteen eighty, and then to watch. 
them compete against the Nolan Ryans and the and uh, and all the, the the tremendous players, the Willie Stargells of the of the game. I had a total respect for the for all those players and what they meant to me and how I felt about being in a dugout and, and being a, a professional baseball player and really never took that for granted. So respect was the first word that came to mind and the respect that I had and, and kept all the way through my years until the day I retired. Uh, the respect meant that I was going to come to the ballpark every day to do my routine and to work hard and to improve even to that last, very last game that I put on a major league uniform. I went to the ballpark that day to be prepared and to be better than I was the day before. And that attitude never changed. And here's what you said on that day. You said, a lot of people say this validates my career, but I didn't work hard for validation. I didn't play the game right because I saw a reward at the end of the tunnel. I played it right because that's what you're supposed to do. And if this validates anything you said, it's that learning how to bunt and hit and run and turning two are more important than knowing where to find that little red light on the dugout camera. And of course, you are referring to Sammy Sosa. No, I didn't say that. I said there was. I know I, you didn't, the, but I mean, I remember players. when he looked for the camera in the dugout, right? He was known for that. Oh, a lot of players, a lot of players, uh, uh, performing, uh, hitting a home run in the in the sixth or the eighth inning, and their team's down by six runs, and then uh, having a great old time in the dugout. That 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 home run would mean nothing to me. That's just a personal pat on the back and on the shoulder. Uh, when a player does that. And uh, that's why I was, I, I had a few opportunities in my career to have a curtain call way early in the game for whatever reason, and was very reluctant uh, if I even did that early in the game, thinking that, wait, I don't want to do a curtain call right here because I did something personally, and then we lose the game, and now we go all in the locker room and and we can't celebrate the win. So any curtain call opportunity that I might have had, it was always late in the game in a winning situation where my teammates and I could uh, be happy after the ball game. And it was about winning a baseball game. What about during the Sandberg game, your coming out party when you hit two homers <clears throat> off Bruce Souter? Did you take a curtain call then? I did not because uh, while I did that, our the game was still tied. Uh, the crowd was going nuts in the ninth, and then again, I, I think it was in the 11th, uh, when I hit the two game-tying home runs on national nationally, uh, national TV, uh, the crowd was going crazy. For me, that did not, uh, that wasn't a good spot for a curtain call. The game still tied. We still could have lost that game, so... No, it was. Uh, I had I had had all smiles and enjoyed it because we, uh, we we're we're still playing. Those two home runs tied the game, so uh, felt very good about that. But it wasn't didn't feel like tipping the cap or celebrating until Davey Owen got the base hit uh, to right center field. We won the game, and then it was just a total release of celebrating with the uh, with my teammates, and we had that W up on the board. You also said in that speech, in my day, if a guy came to spring training 20 pounds heavier than when he left, he was considered out of shape and probably in trouble. When did it become okay for someone to hit home runs and forget how to play the rest of the game? 
again, sounds like a reference to Sosa. Well, there's players that uh, that really got big that I noticed in the game. They got big overnight in one off season, and um, that was during that steroid era where, you know, I was for for a year there, at least a year. I was totally blind of that situation because I retired in ni- uh, 1997, and the players do talk to each other, and there's communications. There was no communication indication of steroids in the game. And then right there the next year in 98, uh, Sosa goes up against uh, McGuire in the home run chase. And it was very exciting. I was, I was glued to the TV. I was watching that, had no idea uh, that there was, that those numbers ended up to be uh, tainted numbers, but it was also elsewhere throughout the game. And it was a thing that probably lasted uh, what did it last four or five years before it was dealt with? So I was blind. To, I was I was blind to that. Did not know anything about that. Uh, had no uh, no discussions with anybody about it. Um, and then once it once it came to truth on what was going on, uh, that was right around uh, a couple of years later. Was my Hall of Fame speech, and I, I talked about respect and playing the game the right way. Should the Cubs reconcile with Sosa and welcome him back? He's not apologized or acknowledged the cork bat, the steroid use. What should happen there? Yeah, I don't know. You know what that is? That's up to the organization. Um, uh, I have recollection that uh, in the past couple of years, I think they've uh, maybe there's been some conversations. I don't know, but that's totally up to the uh, organization. It's not up to me. That's for sure. Uh, certain players, um, organizations will, will keep around, um, if it's for the good of the organization and, and good of what they're looking for, for instruction, uh, um, leading the, leading the players, you know, you want the, you want anybody that's around helping out like I do to, uh, to enhance their players and their, their teams by uh, conversations and, and, uh, how to play the game, um, tips on playing the game, any knowledge that I can give about playing at Wrigley Field or day games. Those are the types of players that I I believe that the organizations do keep around. The San Diego series in 84, you took the first two at Wrigley and went out to San Diego and dropped three straight. Heartbreak Hotel, the biggest collapse really until the 2003 Bartman collapse against the Marlins. Does that stick with you? Do you always... Do you think about what if? How how long does that hurt last? No, I, I still think about that. It really does, and it hurt even worse up until th- 2016. And I was just so um, happy to be with the Cubs in an ambassador role and to be in spring training for the whole spring training to to be at Wrigley Field, probably about uh, 65 to 70 games out of 81 home games. And to uh, talk Cubs baseball, do a little uh, post-game radio. I was able to follow the whole team in October uh, through that March and going to the World Series and was at every game. That erased some of the 84 agony that I was feeling. But uh, even today, that 84 team was probably the closest opportunity no doubt about it one game away to get into a world series the ultimate goal was to win a world series uh that 84 team was put together to win as a veteran group 
went to the playoffs again in 1989 with a younger team. I don't know if we were favored to win the World Series, but we had a great year uh, and fell short in San Francisco. But uh, still today, and and with my buddies, when I bump into uh, Rick Sutcliffe and Bob Dernier and, and Gary Matthews, just to name a few, I see Dennis Eckersley at the Hall of Fame. We talk about that opportunity and that 84 team and coming up short. So there's a, there's a, I think the whole team uh, thinks about that year often. So it never leaves that pain. No, it never leaves, but it, 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 uh, like I said, 2016 helped out a lot with the cup. That was our goal was to win. And it, it didn't have to be really a personal goal, but uh, for the fan base and for Wrigley and, any alumni that I run into that put on a Cubs uniform, we're all joined at the hip where we have the same feeling about playing at Wrigley Field and, and the Cubs fans and how special that is that uh, winning the World Series uh, was something that we, that was our goal. And uh, with the 2016 team doing that, tremendous joy and relief uh, in that year. Ryan Sandberg, thank you so very much for joining us. And I hope that someday you will have a statue outside Wrigley Field as well. Fran, thank you. It's nice to be with you. That's for sure. Great talking Cubs baseball with you. Have fun at the Hall of Fame ceremony. I'll be watching. Uh, appreciate that, Fran. And we will see you all next week.